Faith's children's moment about sitting at a children's table actually reminded me of Fourth of July at my aunt's house, um, where we would eat all those things that we talked about eating before. Uh, and and I, I remembered something that we didn't mention before: baked beans. Baked bean fans. Baked bean fans. Not a baked beans fan. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Right. Uh, the other thing that I, that I remembered was was while we sat at the kids' table, we often couldn't wait to get up from the kids' table. So we'd have those conversations, we'd hear what's happening at the adults' table, and we couldn't wait to get up and, and go and play lawn games. So any croquet fans? Anybody playing croquet this week? Badminton. No badminton fans. What about spike ball, the new game? Oh, Jeff plays spike ball. Jeff plays spike ball. This last uh, Friday, it really felt like summer uh, to me when I, I left uh, when I left the Conejo Valley, it was sunny like this, and, and I, I drove up and over the mountain to speak to a, a few teams who were heading out on short-term uh, mission trips to, to Honduras, Romania, and Turkey. I drove right over the Santa Monica Mountains to the beach, and I was reminded of that wonderful marine layer. I got to Pepperdine, and it was the first time I had actually been on the Pepperdine campus, believe it or not, and I was there to to speak uh, to these three teams who were uh, leaving later that night on their mission trips with uh, Impact, one of our Presbyterian mission partners. Some of you know Christy Labarge. She was uh, inviting me to come and, and encourage and uh, send off these, these group of folks going on their mission trips. So she told me where to park. And, and, and she said, here's the address, just put it in your phone. And I, I, I did just that. I, I put it in my Maps app, and it, it took me to the parking lot where I was supposed to be on campus. But as I was driving on campus and drove up to the parking lot, I realized I was entering kind of the back end of the parking lot. And, and, and there was a construction truck there, so I, I, I couldn't get in, so I pulled out my phone again. I said, all right, where am I supposed to be? And I, I, I hit directions again. And this time it gave me walking directions, which is a problem when you're driving a car and you try to drive down a walking path. So the third time I pulled it out and I said, okay, where, where am I supposed to be? And that time, the third time was the charm and I actually got it right. I got to my destination. Have any of you ever had something like that happen to you? Please tell me I'm not alone. Whether you're driving in a car trying to follow directions or, or you're putting together something at home, maybe an appliance or a kid's toy or something, and, and, and you, you get to this place where you think you've got it all figured out, where you know you're going, and then you kind of got to hit pause and say, oh, something's not right here. Something's not right here, and I've got to recalibrate. I have to, I have to start over. One of the reasons that I love summer is because it's a season that invites us to recalibrate, to kind of say, ah, I'm looking at the roses back behind uh, the, the sanctuary right now, to stop and smell the roses, to, to really enjoy the, the season that we're in, to take a few moments to breathe, to look at, examine our daily rhythms, to hit reset. So throughout the rest of this summer, we're going to... Uh, be in a, in a series looking at a letter that invited the early church to hit reset, that invited the early church to say, huh, we need a course correction of sorts. What might that look like? 
The, the book of James isn't a letter to a specific church or a, a collection of churches in a, in, a, in a specific city like Paul's letters were. It's more of a, a state of the church address to, to Christians who lived everywhere. In James's mind, the, the church had, had simply gotten off track. It started to, to kind of major in the minors, to focus on the wrong things, to say one thing while living in a different way. And so his whole goal in writing this, this state of the church address, if you will, was to bring them back to what was most important, to recalibrate, to hit reset. And he mostly uses two sources in his letter. As we, we read through it this summer, you, you should hear echoes of the first part of Proverbs. And you should hear echoes of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's those two sources that he, he turns to back and forth again to kind of point the church forward as they go uh, and learn what it means to be the church. So James' whole letter, it's, it's essentially actions speak louder than words. In, the, in his introduction to his translation of the letter, Eugene Peterson writes a, a good reminder for today's readers of the letter. He writes, when Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Can I get an amen? amen. It does. And that's not just true in our church. And it's not knocking any one specific church. But if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you know this to be true. That any time you get a group of people together at some point... Things go awry. There's no such thing as the perfect church. There's no such thing as the the perfect group of people. And from time to time, we all kind of need that reminder to get back on track, to focus on what's most important. And and Peterson follows that reminder with a solution for the brokenness. He says, wisdom is not primarily knowing the truth, although it certainly includes that. It is skill in living wisdom skill in living it's not enough to know the right things to say to know the right words peterson saying that, that christian wisdom is living out our faith and that's what james is all about living out what we believe now, James, he spent a lot of time walking with Jesus. He was his, his half-brother, after all. And um, he, he didn't really, even though he was Jesus' half-brother, he didn't really step into a, a leadership role into the church and, and, until later. Uh, until Peter and the other apostles, until they left Jerusalem to plant new communities elsewhere. It was at that point, when they left, that James began leading the church in Jerusalem. Today, we sometimes shy away from, from his writings because they're seen as harsh or they're seen as lacking grace. We, we look at one sentence for the entire letter, faith without works is dead, and we think, oh no, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about the whole. Faith is going to preach on that faith is out, without works is dead um, later, later in, in, in the sermon series, but, but we, we should talk about living out our faith about what it means to follow Jesus and how our actions need to match our words. James was someone who cared deeply for the church. And he was heartbroken over the direction that it was going. 
His entire goal is to get followers of Christ to live in a way to match what they claimed to believe. He starts his letter like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, how, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a, a saying that is, is fairly well known in the sports world, and it's used by general managers who are, are putting together teams. It's also used by trainers and coaches that are, are pushing their athletes to train really hard. I've even heard it on, on the fields while coaching kids. That phrase is trust the process. Trust the process. It means trust the work that you put in. Trust the journey. Look at the big picture. I know this might be hard right now, but trust it's going to move you forward. Trust the process as you keep going. James starts his letter by saying something along those lines, but there's a significant difference. He acknowledges that the early church was working hard. That they were trying to figure things out, but he doesn't say trust the process or even trust yourselves or even trust one another. He encourages them to trust God. To trust that God is working at all times, even when they can't see where God is at work. When James writes that the early church was facing trials, he's mostly referring to, to two specific trials that, that they were facing. There was a famine. It was spreading throughout the land and, and it impacted everyone, but, but really, just like any sort of sickness does today, impacts those who are impoverished most. And so, so he, he's, he's referring to the trials that, that those folks were facing, but then secondly, he's also referring to the trials that, that, that Jewish Christians faced when they were treated by religious leaders, religious officials, I should say, who, who didn't follow Jesus differently. The early church was a group of people who weren't just inconvenienced by what they believed. They were marginalized for it. They lost jobs. They lost homes. They lost their standing in society. So it wouldn't have been easy for them to see how God was moving in the midst of those trials. And though we're not going to get or I should say, and though we don't face those exact types of trials today, many of us do face trials. Many of us are suffering in one way or another, and, and we can learn from the wisdom that James gives to Jesus' first followers. He starts by saying, Consider it pure joy, a gift, when trials and challenges come your way. Now, my guess is when, when most of you go through trials, you don't turn to them and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm in the middle of this. My, my guess is you don't, you don't say, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. I'm sick. This is awesome. I lost my job. This is awesome. How many of you do that when you face a trial? I, I think it'd be kind of weird if you did, to be honest. James isn't saying put on a fake smile. 
He's not saying go out and be shiny, happy people pretending that everything is okay when it's clearly not. That is not what he's saying. We're going to unpack what he means by trial some more in a minute. But the root of the word, it points to an external test that has an endpoint. Whether that endpoint is obvious or not. It's the picture of a baby learning to crawl. Rocking back and forth on their hands and knees, nudging to go forward before they finally put that hand forward. And then after they learn to crawl, struggling to pull themselves up and toddling back and forth before they take that drunken sailor first step. That's the picture. To face trials with pure or all-encompassing joy means seeing beyond the pain or the challenge that's in front of us to something more. It means not having a present circumstance sap the joy of the journey that we're on. In the first few sentences of his letter, James walks his readers through the process of learning to trust God. It starts with not ignoring the reality of our trials. James isn't saying that we we need to put on a fake smile again, to, to pretend that everything is okay. He's saying don't, Don't ignore them. We know that they exist. Now there's trials of all all kinds, and there's at least three times, three types of trials that come up over and over and over again in Scripture. The first is the cause and effect trial. It's what Paul reminds us of in, in, in Galatians when he writes that we reap what we sow. It's a reminder that there are trials that are self inflicted. There there are trials that are cause and effects that are consequences because of our our actions. That's one type of trial that that shows up in Scripture. Another type of trial that shows up in Scripture, uh, Peter and Paul both write about suffering on behalf of what they believe. And Jesus even promised that those sorts of trials, suffering because of what we believe, would come. He says, you'll have trouble or you'll face real trials, real tribulation in this world because of me, but you will also have peace. It's, it's kind of funny. You know, James talks about having this pure joy in the midst of trials, and Jesus talks about finding peace when we suffer those kinds of trials. So there's the, the, the first type of trial that's cause and effect. We reap what we sow. The second sort of trial is spiritual, the, the sort of uh, trial that, that comes up because of what we believe. And the third one that shows up in Scripture uh, that is one, at least in my mind, that's the most difficult to put our finger on. These are the trials that are completely irrational, completely illogical. The trials that just don't make any sense. They're the ones that lead us to shouting at God, to doubting God's existence. They're the, the trials that reveal the brokenness of the world or the injustice that exists around us. It's the sort of, of trial that was faced by Job. Right? All, all of these, these things are happening to Job and his friends. They, they try to come up with an answer for him. His wife says, just turn around and, and curse God. And the whole time, 
He's left with the why. Why? So there's three types of trials. The, the ones that we reap. There's the, the trials that, that come because of what we believe. And then the, the, the third type of trial that, at least to me, is the hardest to understand is the ones that just happen and we left with, ah, uh, why? Why does this exist? And whether it's a cause and effect trial, a spiritual trial, an irrational trial that leaves us angry and hurt. James invites us to approach each one as a test. The image we can hold to here is a scientist doing the work of testing a hypothesis to see if it's true or not true. Or of a student studying for an exam and then taking that exam to prove that they've learned something. Except here, except here, it's, it's not about proving that we've learned something. It's about showing how genuine our faith is. The test of a trial in James's mind forces the follower of Jesus to ask themselves, do I really trust God in the middle of this? Do I? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, and we always should be, sometimes that answer is no. Well, at least I'll speak for myself. Sometimes that answer is no, this is hard to trust God with. And it's in those no moments that James invites us to step back from looking at the trial that's right in front of us to see the bigger picture. As we work through our no's, and hopefully work towards saying, yes, I trust God fully with all of these things that I'm going through, we begin, we begin to develop perseverance. One of the commentaries I read said that in some church traditions, James carried the nickname Old Camel Knees. Old camel knees, and I thought it was was kind of funny. Um, I said, "That's that's an odd odd name. Why why did he? Why why, why did? What tradition was that? I've never heard that before." Um, and then it was because you know, whether or not it's true, we know that James persevered through quite a bit, and that he did through prayer. This commentary said that some traditions call them old camel knees because he always encouraged people to persevere through prayer, which means he prayed quite a bit from being Jesus's brother and all that came with that title to being the leader that was left behind to care for the marginalized church in Jerusalem. It's a safe bet that he spent a lot of times on his knees in prayer, trusting God through the trials that were right in front of him. When I think of Perseverance. I, I can't help but think of a, a title of one of my favorite books uh, written by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And if any of you are looking for a book to read this summer, I would highly, highly recommend it. He, he, he talks about how following Jesus is a long obedience, having a big picture in the same direction. Persevering through trials requires discipline. It requires steadfastness for most of us those are skills that are learned over time through trial and error through falling short and God showing up 
and extending us grace. In Romans 5, Paul writes that he shouted praise in his suffering because it produced perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hope does not disappoint. But it wasn't always that way for Paul. Think about Paul's journey. Think about Paul's story. I find it hard to believe that he was shouting out praises of joy while he was in that room in Damascus blind, wondering what was coming next after he was converted. I'm I'm guessing in that moment, in that trial, he wasn't shouting out in joy. But it's also fair to say that the waiting or the trial shaped the rest of his life. James, he he goes on to say that followers of Christ shouldn't try to make any shortcuts when we're, we're in those trials because as we persevere through those trials, we develop maturity. Another way of saying this is we become complete. He's essentially saying the same thing that I often find myself saying to my kids and I imagine parents for generations have been saying to their kids and, and That's when something comes up that's difficult for them. We say, don't take any shortcuts. Don't cheat yourself. Go through the hard work. In the end, you'll grow because of it. As James looked at the people he served and the places where they were kind of needing that that course correction, he's acknowledging that they're on a difficult road. He's not saying that it's easy. He's not looking to the church and saying, hey, this is easy. But he's saying, stay on that road. Stay on that road. Persevere. And at the same time, he's encouraging them to walk through the trials because trials give them the opportunity to grow. The opportunity to grow. To develop the sort of faith and life that they claimed to be after in the first place. The word that James uses for maturity at the end of verse 4, it it gives this picture of, of wholeness. It's being a complete person. A person full of integrity. A person full of character. He's inviting his readers and he's inviting us to be the person and the people that God desires us to be. A people, a person fully mature in Christ. And when we set our hearts on being that people, even in the midst of the trials that we will inevitably face, we're able to trust that God is always at work. We're able to persevere. Let's pray. Lord, we long to be able to fully trust you. At all times, in all seasons, through all kinds of different trials. Lord, may the the rest of the summer be one of recalibrating, of resetting. Where we turn toward you and the life full of joy that you've invited us to live. We pray these things in your name. Amen.